Well, I wonder if you know what this image is, what it represents. It's a diagram, as you can see, from the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. And the red dots represent the number of people in the UK who worship in a church once a month or more, 7% of the population. And depending on how you look at it, this depicts either a very daunting challenge for the church in England or a huge opportunity for God to do something really big, or both. And judging from the research that I can find about our city of 109,000 people and the churches in our city, I actually think that the percentage of Christians in Boulder who worship in a church once a month or more is not too far off from this. One way to think of it, are there 7,700 people who gather to worship Jesus regularly on a Sunday morning in Boulder? It's a good image to have before us. I spoke at an event recently for um, ministry leaders with the man who leads this work with the LICC. His name is Neil Hudson. And I had never met him before, but in meeting him, I uh, learned that he's very funny, very witty, and has this great British accent. And when we were introducing ourselves at this gathering to the crowd before we spoke, we were asked to kind of share a little bit about our context uh, where we serve. So among other things, I said something like, um, I'm one of the pastors of a church in Boulder that's been around for 148 years. And there's lots of goodness in the faithful, historic legacy of our church. And there's also challenges when we think about change and the changes in our city. And after I spoke, I was just part of this panel. Neil was the keynote speaker. And uh, he, as he was introducing himself, he looked out in the crowd and he said, where's uh, Jane? He said, 148 years may be historic in Colorado. <laughs> he said, my church started in the 13th century. And we have been meeting on the same plot of land for over 800 years. So he said, if you would like to talk about changing culture around the church, why don't you find me afterwards and we can do that. I loved it. But Christians in Europe know something of what it means to see vast changes in the culture right around them. They know what it means to have been the majority culture and now to be the minority culture. They know what it means for the church and culture to really been, have been in lockstep about things like general human morality and then to find themselves boxed out of that exact same conversation. And it's in the midst of these changes and all that comes with it that the LICC, really in partnership with the church, has been asking questions about how to reach the UK with the love of Jesus. And I love that question. They're saying things are changing around us. So how can the church be faithful in the midst of this changing culture? And it's the same questions that we have been asking. How to love our city with God's love, to be for bolder. How does such a small number of people have an influence in a community? How can the good news of Jesus be shared faithfully and effectively when there's such a small minority? I mean, look at how small. And when the surrounding culture at best seems uninterested, but sometimes skeptical, maybe even hostile to the things of Jesus. So what should the church, what should we be doing to be faithful to this primary call 
to love God and to love others and to live as God's people, people of his kingdom while we are here. And that's really what our vision, just as Dean and Braden were saying, it's what our stewardship of this plot of land where we have been for 148 years. It's our new name as we look out to our community. It's what our life together is about. So that's what we're going to continue to talk about as we talk about this vision to be a people and a church for Boulder with love. So let's pray, and we're going to open up a really remarkable uh, passage of Scripture. Lord Almighty, you are also our loving Father. We pray that you would teach us more of what it means to seek you and worship you with all our heart, to live faithfully for you, to love the city where you have called us. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. And Jesus, we ask this for your sake and in your name. Amen. We're going to read part of Jeremiah 29, and this is a letter from God, if you want to open it. Uh, It's like in the middle of your Bible there. It's a letter from God that was written down by the prophet Jeremiah and then carried by messengers to the people of Judah, who had been overthrown. They were in Jerusalem, and they were taken from their home to Babylon by their captors in about 598 B.C., So now as exiles living in this foreign land, the people of God taken here to Babylon, they also know what it meant from being the dominant culture to being the minority culture, and also an oppressed minority culture. They came as exiles sent there. So here's what God says to them about how they should live in the midst of their circumstances. Starting in verse 4, God says this to them, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. We'll stop there for now. So Babylon was this huge city and a huge and growing kingdom, and it was filled with exiles from lots of different, different nations. So as King Nebuchadnezzar would go and conquer uh, different nations, he would bring some of the people from those nations back to the capital city to really build his own empire, to build the empire of Babylon. So these people of Israel were carried away from their land, from their culture, from their temple, from their king, even from some of their families and community to be in this place that now is filled with all these different worldviews, all these different perspectives from all these other nations. And again, they were there really under the governing authority of their captors. They were exiles. So they're surrounded by different religions, different moral codes, lots of idolatry. So as fragmented as this big city was with all these different people and views, It was also a city that was filled with wealth and art and education and creativity. 
It was becoming populated with the best and brightest from the nations all around it. And so for the people of Israel, it was both an oppressive and hostile culture as people who were uh, there against their will, but it was also full of beauty and because of the common grace of God with all this human ingenuity. And it's into that that God sent this letter to them. How are they to live and respond to this fragmented place as the tiny little minority that they were, as a people who belong to another kingdom? And so what did God say to them? Well, what he said must have been astounding to them. Babylon still had blood dripping from their hands of the people that had been taken to their capital city. And this is what God says? Settle in, folks. Plan on being here for generation after generation. Make your home in this place with this people. Raise your children. Work the land. Provide for your families. Spread out. Increase. Do not decrease. Just like he said to the people of Israel when they were exiled and enslaved in Egypt. What God is calling for here is for his people to develop a communal life together as his people, distinctly the people of Israel in this place of Babylon, so that they could be sustained for the long haul, but also so that they could be a blessing to this city. What he's saying is, I want you to accept this as your new normal. This is my chosen habitat for you, people of God. In case you missed it, did you hear it said, God said, I carried you into exile. I carried you into this city. This is the place where you will live out your faith, where you will practice life together and be a blessing to this place. So when God says, don't listen to those diviners, those prophets, what he's referring to is that earlier in Jeremiah, in chapter 23 and 27 and 28, there were prophets who were making false prophecies about what exile would be like, saying there won't be hardship. Um, it's going to end soon. Babylon's going to be overthrown in just a couple years. So just hang back. Just stay over here on the banks of the canal and just wait for the city to fall rather than do what God is asking them to do, which is to move in and settle in deeply to this community. So here's what it says in Jeremiah 23, just to give us some perspective. This is what the Lord Almighty says about these false prophets. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But the Lord knows that exile will be hard, and it will last generations. And therefore, God is calling them not to stay separate, not to remain and wait for the culture to be overthrown or to be more hospitable, but actually to enter right in. And even though the city is filled with idols and false gods, he said, seek its peace and prosperity. Seek its shalom. He said, pray to me for its flourishing. Pray to me and work for it. Root for it in every way. This is your place. And again, what in the world, they must have thought, is God asking of us? 
But you know what I love is that this is a message of grace. Pursue good for those who have not been good to you. Pursue good even for those who are against you. And ultimately, here in the middle of the Old Testament, this is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is how Jesus loved us. That even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were turned away from him, he sacrificed, he sought our good. This is the way that Jesus loves. And so he's calling his people to be people of grace in the midst of this hostile city. It's mind-blowing, and it's also what God asks of us. And this makes me realize, God, your ways are not my ways. Your vision is so much bigger than my vision, which is often so small, and my heart is often so resistant and fearful. I often wonder, God, we are not many. How are we going to do what you are asking us to do? So I wonder if you hear some similarities here and why this passage, I think, is so significant for us as a church. You know, Boulder is filled with beauty. And it's also a place that is fragmented with so many different views about what the world should be like. Boulder is filled, thanks to the common grace of God again, with human ingenuity and brilliance and research and amazing things, and it's also filled with idols. Our city is often so grateful for the gifts and the things that we can give to it, while it's also sometimes oppressive to our faith. How do we live lives of grace? How do we demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ for our city, fully committed to its shalom, to its flourishing? So that's what I want to unpack for us here. And here is one aspect of what I think it looks like. If that's the gathered people of God, here is what it looks like to be the scattered people of God. Because most of our life, most of you spend probably 95% of your life, the church scattered. In everyday places, in every different uh, situation, you are in relationship with so many people. Sometimes I'm jealous that you spend so much time out and about. I think about you in Boulder Valley School District and at CU. I think about you in your neighborhoods, serving on local boards, in volunteer groups, on sports teams, on hiking trails, in community centers, in residential communities, working in medicine and science and government, gathering with people of all different places in cafes and gyms and studios. It's amazing. So Christians may be the vast minority in our community, but in your day-to-day life, when you are the church of God scattered, you touch so many different places and people. And in fact, just 7% of the population you see scattered out here, when they are scattered in just their normal day-to-day life, they can conceivably connect and touch, if you look at the gray around them, with over half of the population. Just 7% in normal everyday life has the possibility of being connected to people in our community, half of them. So Neil Hudson, this guy from, um, from England, said that currently only 2% of 
of his uh, town, where this 800-year-old church is, um, are Christians, 2%. But he said recently, as they've been looking at the changing culture, one of the things that they've done is they have also made their church a hub. And they've sought to fling wide their doors and use their space really creatively for the community as we're wanting to do more and more. And what he said is, even though only 2% of our community are Jesus followers, 10% of our community is coming and going from our church every month. Because we have become for our city, and they know that. And so they gather for community things. They come for care. They come for relationships. They come for all manner of events. 10%. So what he uh, and his research has found is that between the 2% of worshipers and the 10% of those who are coming and going from their place, 75% of their community is touched by someone who has been in and around their church in every given month with just 2% of a worshiping community. It's remarkable. And what both Jeremiah 29, what God is saying there, and the research of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity says is that for us to be really the scattered people of God like this in effective ways, ways that bring God's shalom to our community, there are two things that must be true of the church of Jesus Christ. One is about our discipleship, and the other is about the way that we live on mission. And as you might imagine, they are absolutely linked, our discipleship and our mission. So here's the first thing about our discipleship. In order for us to be four bolder with the love of God in Jesus Christ in an effective way that will actually reach people with the gospel, as God's people, we must remain distinct not grayed out. If those red dots start to look just like what is surrounding them, they will not have anything distinct, anything about the goodness and the uniqueness of our Savior to offer to the world. You know, when we're the church gathered, when we're in that little corner and we're together, that little 5% maybe of our time together, one of the things that we do is that we proclaim the gospel that we remind one another who God is, what it means to be loved by God, to find our life in the grace of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we remind one another so that when we go out of these doors, we continue to proclaim those things and to worship wherever we go. So part of our call as the church scattered is to remain distinct. You know, the Babylonian Empire was very savvy. Their plan to build their kingdom was to bring, again, the best and brightest exiles to their city and then to assimilate them completely. This is actually how they oppressed the exiles. The exiles. They realized that if they were going to uh, oppress them with force and slavery, there would just be uprisings. They didn't want to deal with that. So instead, they said, the way that we will oppress these exiles is to assimilate them in every way, gray them out intellectually, spiritually, socially. It's like Daniel, you might remember, when he was taken to Babylon, he was given the best Babylonian education. He was groomed for uh, the most important jobs in the kingdom. And he was promised wealth and power and influence and comfort because Babylon knew they knew that if they could get the people of Israel to 
fade into their culture, to assimilate into their culture and live like the Babylonians, eventually they would lose their ability to have a distinctive understanding of life as God intends it. They would forget what is distinct about Yahweh. They would forget what's distinct about Yahweh's ways. And within a couple generations, that's all it took, an entire nation could gray out and be assimilated into the Babylonian empire. If the church scattered loses its distinctiveness as followers of Jesus and grays out, you can see how the mission of God gets grayed out in a community. As a people of God, we need to remain distinct to remember whose we are, who our God is. And here's what I love and find so compelling. Uh, This is both research from the LICC as well as just life together in Christ. That our life together as the church gathered really is that, to worship God, to remember who God is. And then to equip one another, to encourage one another, just to continue that worship wherever we are in our normal everyday life, to stay red. Being for Boulder is about Christians living the way of Jesus in your everyday context over and over and over again. It's less about deciding to do new things and more things, but most of all, it's just being a follower of Jesus, a worshiper of Jesus, wherever you find yourself. It might look like this. It might mean choosing not to throw your colleague under the bus in front of the other people on your staff when he's made a mistake that makes you look bad. And instead, going and talking about it with him in private. That godly character of mercy makes you distinct, at least to that one person. It's the person who refuses to gossip when they're in a group of people and asks others not to either. That's godly courage, not to fade into the ways of what is around you. It's a student who has the ability maybe to cheat without getting caught knowing that and choosing that even though it means a lower grade, that they are a person of truth and they will display that godly character. It's over and over again in little ways and in big ways being the people of God wherever he has us. This kind of distinctiveness is simply an overflow that comes out of our relationship with Jesus. We can't just will up this fruit of the Spirit. This actually comes from knowing Jesus, from knowing his ways and making space for him to be at work in us, spending time in his presence, encouraging one another, A few weeks ago, I was having lunch with a friend, and we were just kind of checking in about things, and after um, the waitress came and took our order, she looked at me and she said, how is your soul? What is God doing in you right now? Tell me. I want to know. And it was such a gift of our distinctiveness in Christ that she would ask me that deeper question to encourage me, to remind me that I am a follower of Jesus, that God is at work in my life. We need to be that kind of people who remind one another what it is to be the church scattered in restaurants, on trails, in our work. So being for Boulder means that we need to remain distinctly 
in Christ. Red, not grayed out when we are scattered. But here's the second thing. If that's about our discipleship, here's also about our mission. So like God's uh, people who were exiled in Babylon, we need to be people who not only remain distinct, but at the same time fully invest in the places where God has sent us. Fully invest in the relationships that God has given to us, the people that he's given to us to love and to be loved by, to love the places where we have been scattered. You know, our temptation, as it was for the people of Israel, as these false prophets were saying, was just to stay separate. It's much easier to have these distinctives with just the other people who have those distinctives with you and to stay in that corner. But instead, we need to be the people who care deeply, who belong to the places where we are scattered. You may be in the places where you are, in your work, in your community, in your um, things that you do as hobbies, specifically because God wants you to remain that red person in the midst of a sea around you, to be the distinct gift of his presence. He is doing work in the people who are around you. He is, loves the people who he has put you around. So he has called you there. So my prayer as I've thought about this vision to be a people in a church for Boulder with love is that it would start to get really personal for us and really particular. That when we hear that we're a church and a people for Boulder with love, there would actually be faces of the people in our lives, people who we interact with on a normal basis who come to mind. That the places where we spend our life would flash across our mind when we hear for Boulder with Love. Because here is my concern. If this vision to be for Boulder with Love doesn't get particular, we could become just a big group of vaguely nice people who live on the edge of our community, being nice, never offering anything distinctive about Jesus to actual people who we love in his name. That is, I think, the danger of the church, staying on the outside, being distinctive out here, and never actually bringing that distinctiveness of Jesus Christ to the people and the places where God has called us to be. So Neil's book, uh, which is called Scattered and Gathered, says this about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Again, all of this is simply an outflow of our relationship with Jesus. He says this, The lordship of Jesus relates to every area of life, through every stage of our life. You might be eight years old, you might be 80 years old. Maturing as a Christian is not something that simply shapes our private inner worlds. It affects and must engage with the everyday public whole of our lives. That's what God intends for his church. That's what God intends for us both as the gathered people of God and the scattered people of God. And here's something as one of your pastors that I want you to know so deeply. That your life is more sacred than I'm guessing you probably think it is. That your life is more sacred than you know. That you are so loved that if you are in Christ... The Father calls you his own. He has sent his spirit to live within you. And let me say this. If you are not in Christ yet, God loves you so much and he has created you for that most meaningful relationship. 
that you are loved by God. He has created you with a purpose. You have a sacred life. God said this to his exiled people right after the section of the letter that we read. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Your life is more sacred than you know. And then he said, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. What God is saying to his people here is to give him our whole heart, our whole life. And he wants us to know that he is with us in these places where he sends us. He's with us in exile, and he promises that he will bring us all the way back to himself forever. And that gives us courage to live in the places that he sends us today. And this is really the good news that is for us, but also that we are entrusted to share with others, that every single person that we see in Boulder, their life is sacred, that God created them to know him, to live in peace and freedom. We have the privilege of getting to share that news. That's what God has asked of us as a church, to receive it as a gift and to share it with others.